Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. What's up, Good morning. It is real bright and early. It is. is. We are, um, we jumped on super early today Mm -hmm. to get it done. I mean, we got appointments today, got my hair done, so. (laughs) I do not have anything today except laundry. That I have to do. And the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. (laughs) Oh, yes. That is yeah. my agenda for the day. I am taking my, taking it easy today. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. No, because the sports are stressing me out. We keep oh, talking about oh my it. Gosh, we keep talking about it. It's all I, we freaking do. <laughs> Practice got canceled for tonight, and I was like doing the happy. Oh, my God. Yes. So Friday <laughs> night, my we have baseball Friday night, and I'm at 6 o'clock. I'm like, this is a nightmare. This is Friday night. Like, yeah, somebody calls somebody about this. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't mind the, the games and stuff like that. Like, I'm really looking because we just, we just started. Well, not just started. He's been doing baseball for a couple of months now because it was indoor practice. It's the practices. I don't want to sit through the practices. Right. And because he's got some behavior stuff going on during them, we have to. And it's just stressing me out that we have to sit through the practice. So I can just drop boring. him off and be like, see you in an hour and a half or whatever although you did send me a message that you were doing research at a practice oh yeah because it was outdoors and it was a two and a half hour practice because they had a parent meeting at the end and so I was like um I asked Emery I'm like so if I have all my tabs of all the articles pulled up on my computer can I just read those like will they stay on there without internet oh he's like yes oh and they do do. so they were all pulled up and so I was just offline reading all the articles and taking notes and Whatnot, look so. what we do. Look. Yeah. yeah. Look what we do for you mm-hmm. people. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then ourselves. I just picked my head up and pretended I was paying attention. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> okay. So um, so we have our two-year anniversary is coming up. Just wanted to do a quick reminder that there's a live on March 30th. If you're yes. interested, it's $5 unless you're a Patreon and you get in free. Yeah, um, we'll just get the link. We'll email that out um, like that week or whatever. Yeah, if you guys want to start sending in stuff you want us to talk about, we can make a list of that. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, new Patreons. Closet Sisters in the house. We've got some yes. shout outs. Stacy's mom and Jesse's girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking about that earlier. Yeah, we have Stacy B and Jesse T. And we've been singing songs to you guys today. <laughs> yes. It's just funny how those were like the two. Yeah. <laughs> were to be shouted out. Wish today. that I had Jesse's girl. <laughs> there you go. There's your song, Jesse. Yeah. So thanks for joining. We appreciate it. Okay. We appreciate you yes, all. Thank you so much. We just dropped a couple things. We've got another one recorded on the way. Coming here and. Right away, right? It's this week. Yep, you'll get one this week. Yeah, you'll get another one Friday. It'll be super mm-hmm. cool. Come hang out with us on the Patreon. Find us on social media to get that info. That's it. Yeah. I'll have. Got to go to baseball. I got to go. <laughs> yep, got to go. Got to go get my hair done. <laughs> Although I'm not going to baseball, I'm going to a hockey game tonight. Oh, Yay. fun. <laughs> I have a hockey game coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I have... Well, I uh, So... This is this week, which is before the, this is actually dropping. So I'm actually done with all the hockey by the time this episode drops. But we have a Blues game tonight. And then my cousins, 
like a manager slash coach of Stony Brook College in New York. Yes. Hockey team. And they're in the Nationals and it's here. So he's flying oh, here. yes. You told me about this. So we're going to go, yeah, to the, the game on Saturday night to watch that and see That's him. so fun. That'll I'm fun. going on Friday to see the Canes. Oh. The Hurricanes nice. and the Caps. Yeah. Who are we playing? Oh, Rangers. Oh, nice. It's a Long Island team. Oh, <laughs> New York team, I should say. New York. So <laughs> now you have to watch. Anyway. Now you're not going to who, know who to root for. It's going to be upsetting. Uh, the Blues. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All I'm right. Not, Do you guys like allegiance. hockey? I have no allegiance. Anybody hockey out there? Yeah. I don't, I don't really like it. We have friends who are. I do. I got really into it. Yes, I know you did. We have friends who are big Caps fans, and they have, like, season tickets and go every year. And so they try to come down for a Caps and Hurricanes game whenever they play, like, once uh-huh. a, once every year. And so the, this is it. This is the one. So Fun. Oh, a lot I of know. People. My mom's coming into town. I'm going to New Orleans. Let somebody else Got do the sports on. for a couple days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. so fun. Okay. Well, are you ready for some crime? I'm ready, Freddy. This is crazy. Okay, good. That's what you're about that's to how, hear. That's how I like it. All right. Okay. Well, here we go. Okay. The case I am about to discuss is a suggestion from our closet sister, Mez. Mez. In, cool yeah. name. It is. She lives in central Queensland, Australia. Oh, Thanks for listening. Oh, the Outback. <laughs> yes. This Australia case takes first place on our list, by the way, of places that oh, we want to sure. go and visit. I mean, out of the 100%. country. Yeah. Oh, it's on your all's list too? I think I knew that. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We tried to get that because my husband gets sent on trips for his job and we tried to get that. I think it was like our like number one pick when we got to choose which ones we didn't get picked for it, but yeah, <laughs> I haven't been there, but one day, one day we will get there. And this case takes place in Australia. So we're traveling pretty far today <laughs> for the pod. Cool. I think, I think it might be the furthest we've traveled, I but think. I don't know. Mez is actually born and raised in the small town from today's case, and she was nine years old when it happened. So she does like have memory of wow. this. Okay, cool. Occurring. Um, and this is also an interesting one because last week you did a hairdresser case in Georgia, and mm-hmm. this is also it's called the hairdresser murders. Whoa. So we're going back to the salon, ladies. Oh man. Back. Salons are dangerous, huh? Yeah, they are. Well, I'm thinking I might never go again. Dad, gone. It's one of my happy places. That's not good news. Yeah, Love well, to get sorry. my hair did. Well, might not after this one. Oh, so. no. Okay. <clears throat> We're going to Portland, Australia, and it's about 360 kilometers west of Melbourne, which is approximately 223 miles, by the way. Okay. That up. Also <laughs> had to look up because I'm not like super familiar about Australia and like where things are and whatever. And Melbourne is like in the southeast part of Australia. And this little town is like west of there. And it's just a small coastal town on like the Indian Ocean. Fun. That sounds yes. awesome. It's in the state of Victoria. So I, I'm assuming Australia is broken up into states, kind of like we are. And mm-hmm. so this is the state of Victoria. Portland is the oldest town in Victoria, and it's a very beautiful place. Its population is about 10,000 people, and it's a place where 
you know, lots of people will live for like forever, generation after generation. It's a very tight knit community. Most people know all the locals and it's a port city. So there's a lot of people that come through there at times and they're noticed because everybody's like, well, that's not a local guy. So this story is a double murder that occurred in May of 1991, I believe. I think I put 92 on here, but it's 91. I lied. Okay. I lied on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> in this quaint little town and it rocked the community and it was just never the same. The Acock family, and I will probably say all of these words wrong, all of these names, well, not all of them, but there's a couple that I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's how you say it. Acock, it's A-C-O-C-K. Okay. Acock. Sounds right Acock, to me. Whatever. And the Penny family lived in Portland. Claire Acock, who was 49, lived with her husband, Peter, and they had been married for 28 years. They have three adult children, and they were grandparents, and they were well, looking forward to welcoming a new granddaughter into the family very soon. Claire was a part-time hairdresser at the old London coiffure. See, that's Whoa. Maybe I said right. Um, this salon is in the old London building that is that kind of houses a couple of other businesses, like an insurance company, a dentist's office. So it's a building. It has different companies inside it or businesses inside it. Okay. The shop owner is Kay Edwards, and she employs Claire on Wednesdays from 9 to 1 and Fridays from 1 to 5 so that she's able to have a little bit of a break from the salon because she's a mom and has young kids and whatnot. So Claire would just work there during those times, and she would be there alone. And I pr- I think Kay was always there alone, too, because I think she just ran the shop, and then Claire just worked a few hours so that she could get out. Okay. Margaret Penny, who's 58, and her husband Robert had been married for 36 years. They have two adult children and one grandchild named Afra. Okay. They, yeah, they were living in a quiet, lovely life in Portland. The couple would often take their granddaughter for weeks at a time to give their daughter a break and just to be able to spend some time with her. That's amazing. Mom, it is me, right? <laughs> yeah, like weeks and weeks. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say no. <laughs> On Monday, May 3rd, 1991, Claire and Margaret started their day much like they would any normal day. Claire and Peter had a friend in town who had spent the night. Claire woke up early and let Peter sleep in for a bit. She fed the dogs, got the newspaper around 7 a.m. Their friend woke up and went for a walk by himself. And when he got back, Peter and he went to town to meet a couple more friends for coffee. And then they had plans to go golfing that afternoon. But before they went golfing, they returned home for some lunch that Claire served them. After that, she left for work as her shift at the salon was starting at one because this was the Friday. Okay. Margaret Penny slept in that morning with her granddaughter until about 10 a.m. Robert was up early and made himself breakfast and read the newspaper. When Margaret and Afra got up, they had something to eat, and Margaret mentions that she has a hair appointment around two. She tells Robert, that Afra's not going to come with me. Apparently, some people say that it was common for her to bring her granddaughter Mm -hmm. because she'd get her hair braided or something while her hair was setting, you know, and she would just kind of spend. But apparently this day, she said she's not going. And I'm assuming, well, she mentions that, well, she has a special project for grandpa to do because she wants him to build her a swing on a tree in like the backyard. Cute. But I also think that she probably wasn't bringing her because, um, she had made plans to meet her friend Shirley at the tea room after. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was just like, well, I don't really want to bring her there with me. I want to have some time like alone. 
yes, time with my friend. So after lunch, she leaves for her hair appointment. And on the way to the salon, she stops at that tea room and places an order for food to be ready when she returned to meet Shirley around 3.15. Sounds like such a lovely afternoon. I know, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So then she heads to her appointment. Both ladies have no idea the fate that awaits them in the next couple of hours. Claire had four appointments on the books that afternoon, a one o'clock, a one thirty, a two o'clock, which was Margaret and a four thirty. She had also told her sister to come in around two thirty for a color, but her sister ended up not coming because she just got too busy or whatever. But that, so that would have been like during Margaret's appointment, right? Margaret was going for like, um, let me see. I have it in my notes. Oh, hair color, washing, a set and style. So there was going to be like times where she was like going to be waiting for things to set Margaret and things could, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go and work on her sister. But anyway, her sister ends up not going. Um, so Claire arrived and parked her car just before one. She stopped at the store on the way, like as she was walking to the salon and bought some lifesavers and then went into the salon. We are unsure if her one o'clock appointment showed up. No, nobody's been able to confirm or figure out that that happened. The one thirty came in and during her haircut, she said a man came into the salon but was kind of out of her sight line. She thinks he came in the back door and all she heard Claire say was, oh, she's gone for the day. And then the man left. So we don't know who this man is, but it seemed that maybe he was there looking for someone else, possibly the salon owner. Right. And she had already left. So that doesn't seem too unusual. Came in the back door. That's kind of unusual though, right? Well, I guess depending, like if he's like a regular customer of that guy, of the other, of the owner, then maybe, you know, where, depending on where you park, Maybe you could, it's easier to enter the back. I don't know. Okay. But it didn't seem unusual because it wasn't like Claire was like, what the heck are you doing here? Who are you? You know, she was just like, oh, she's gone for the day. And that was at the end of the conversation. So her two o'clock was Margaret, as I said earlier. Um, Apparently she has weekly appointments with Claire. So they're very familiar with each other. They're not strangers. Mm-hmm. Around 3.05, someone um, in one of the local stores spotted Claire on the corner of the street crossing or waiting to cross. Um, she had a bag in her hand and it was assumed that she had gone back to her car to get her knitting, you know, like maybe while Margaret's color was setting and she is known to knit while waiting or in between appointments or whatever. And they're thinking maybe she was going to show her friend what she was working on for the baby. Oh my gosh. she This is very wholesome sounding. Are you about to ruin oh, my day? <laughs> I'm about to ruin your day big time. Oh, man. So at 3.20, Shirley arrives at the tea room. She was the one that was supposed to meet Margaret at 3.15 after her hair appointment. But Margaret's not there. Oh, no. She So she knew she was getting her hair done. So she like walks up the street towards the salon to see, well, maybe she's, you know, just running a few minutes late and walking, whatever, I'll meet her. So as she gets closer, she sees that Margaret's car is parked and decided to walk back to the tea room in case she had missed her. She ran into two other friends and sat there chatting with them and had some coffee. And then after that, she decided to go back to the salon as it was weird for Margaret to not show up at all. Mm -hmm. So she got there around 345 checked the doors. They were locked. She even, she knocked on the door and no one answered. And she even walked around to that back door and said that door was locked as well. She walked back to the tea room around 4 PM, looked for Margaret around the streets, thinking maybe she was walking around the shops, but she didn't see her. So she drives home and calls the penny house and Robert answers and said, well, Margaret mentioned meeting you. So I know that she was planning on doing that and she's not come home and she's not called me. So she must still be 
up there. And why is the salon closed during normal business hours or locked like, right. like it's closed? Yeah, exactly. So after Shirley gets off the phone, she decides to go back downtown, checks in some more of the shops, goes back to the salon around 4.15. She knocks on the door, tries the doors, still locked. She goes back home and calls the salon, but there's no answer. See, this is like, you know, before everyone had cell phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in the 90s, right? calls, Yeah, like she's going back home, making calls, coming back, going home to call Dave. <laughs> also, uh, get you a Shirley. We say this, there's always one in every episode, somebody who is like relentlessly like, nope, this is weird. I'm not letting it go. It's not like my friend. So she ends up calling Kay, the shop owner. Kay heads down to the salon around 4.30. When she enters the salon, she walks in with like her littlest son on her hip, by the way. Oh, no. She saw a stool that was behind the cash register that was turned on its side, which was strange, in a 20-cent transaction, which was also very strange, on the register. And then there was a few other items out of place. She starts to get a little bit nervous, so she leaves the salon because she's got her son in her arm. And she's like, something's off, so I'm, I'm out. She went to the dentist's office that was upstairs and asked one of the nurses if they could come down and just like walk through with her. So they both walk in and walk to the rear of the salon and saw a handbag with all of its contents like kind of strewn about. And as she works, walks further towards the shampoo room, she could see two pairs of legs on the floor and a hairdryer on the floor. Oh, no. She they both immediately run out of the salon because they have no idea if somebody's still in there or what happened. And they call the police and say they found, found bodies, but mm-hmm. they're not sure if they're dead or not. And another employee in the building could hear these two women sobbing and like hearing on. So he comes out to see what's going on and they tell him. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go and check this out. So he goes into the shampoo room and he sees both women lying in a big pool of blood. Police. And basically he's like, they're dead. Like you need to call the police and tell them this is really urgent. Come mm-hmm. police arrive around 449 and directed told they're told where to go. And they find the women in the same state checked for pulses and there were none. They both had significant lacerations to their necks. Both women had been beaten and their throats were slit. Oh my gosh. Who would do this to two lovely grandmothers? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, after this break, we will take a look at what we know of this case. Okay. Because this was such a quiet, small town, when this occurred, it shocked the community. Especially because mm-hmm. it's older women. I, I mean, there's just something right. so terrible. Right. Like, who? they don't have enemies. Nobody knew of anybody that was gonna, that wanted to hurt them. And, you know, and did it look like a robbery? I mean, yes, there was a little bit of money taken. and But, there, like, their jewelry was still on, stuff like mm. that. That was, like, probably wasn't not. their motive. Right. No one could believe that this happened and everyone wanted and also thought that it had to be someone outside the community because there's no way that someone who lives among us will did, would do this to these people. They live among you. They do. They were on high alert all the time, taking extra precautions, wanted to make sure that they they just wanted to make sure that they were safe from whoever did this. Right off the bat, as the investigation started, they got so many tips because everyone wanted this solved. So it was like everyone that thought they had any kind of information, they just called and like sent them. The, the tips that they thought were important. Mm-hmm. They had the dentist upstairs who had heard a scream while he was treating a patient. It caused him to pause for a second and turn his equipment off. Cause clearly he's got stuff running and he hears this. And so he ta- turns it off and is like, okay, nothing else. So he's like, well, maybe I didn't hear it. 
and the patient can't really recall, but clearly when you're being worked on inside your mouth, it's like probably a lot louder. Oh yeah. I'm screaming in my head. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he just assumes maybe he didn't hear it at all. And he just keeps going on with his um, procedure. At 3.30, an insurance agent that also worked in that old London building across from the salon heard screams as well, but he assumed it was kids playing in the courtyard behind the building. Another employee in the building heard two screams a second or two apart and then a banging noise, which he said sounded like the back door of the salon being opened violently, so it banged like against the wall of the building. All right. So he goes to the window and sees the screen door opening and hitting the wall as the main door like closes. So that's closing and it's like causing it to like, okay, you know, pop open again, but But he didn't see see anybody. No. So he's just like, like, maybe they just slammed the door from the inside and you know, whatever. So Hmm. he doesn't, he also doesn't think anything of it and just goes about his day. Three people who hear screams. And if one of them had just done something, I'm not blaming them at all, but like, you just think like, little extra like, hmm, what's going on? Mm-hmm. May, mm-hmm. who knows, may have saved these women's life? I have no idea. Or maybe they would have killed, been killed too. Who knows? The two women were found face down on the floor in pools of blood. There was blood all over the floor and the walls. They had electrical cords around their feet, which basically like was like the hair dryers or whatever they could find in the salon to tie them up. And that indicated that they had been tied to the chairs that they that were like right behind them, essentially. Oh. There were towels that were loosely tying their hands. Their heads were covered with those, you know, the capes that they put on you when they yes. um, cut your hair. They had those were over their heads for some reason. There was no apparent murder weapon at the scene that they could tell. And also this, I mean, this would probably come later, but there was no evidence that there was any sexual assault. So these m- women were just murdered, cold blood. What in the world? The next day, the scene was thoroughly examined. Blood samples were taken. The next a day? Yeah. So they like secured. I don't know why. I mean, this is a small town. Maybe they were like, what the hell? So they secured the scene overnight. I don't even think they got the bodies out until later that night. Oh, I, I feel like I remember in one of the articles. And so they just secured it for the night. And then the next day went out. They had blood samples, and there was a small piece of tissue on the chair that was behind one of the women that they took into evidence. Initially, based on the blood stains and the rips in their clothing, it seemed as though they were both stabbed repeatedly while tied to the chair and sitting in the chair, and that they both ended up like slumping over and falling out of the chairs and bled to death. Oh, my goodness. They found a partial shoe print also between the back door and the shampoo room. So this was clearly taken into evidence as well. They had so many calls, like I mentioned earlier on, from people in the area that day that they were so overwhelmed. This is, again, a small town. Mm-hmm. Never before has seen probably a murder, no less this kind of murder. Yes. And they're like, whoa. So they're overwhelmed with the amount of information that they're getting. Robert and Peter, their husbands, are cleared almost immediately as Peter was on the golf course at the time with his friends and Robert was at home building a swing with his granddaughter. And neither of them seemed like the type of person that would commit this kind of crime mm-hmm. in broad daylight, like in the town that they live in, this tiny town. Mm-hmm. So they're just, they're cleared. Claire's cause of death was a stab wound to the chest and abdomen and incised wound to the neck. She had stab wounds and bruising to her chest and abdomen, incised wounds to her right hand, bruising to her left arm, and bruising to her right leg. Oh, it was noted thought. that... the 
it was noted that the wounds in her hands looked like defensive wounds. Mm. Margaret's was stab wound was a stab wound to the chest and an incised wound to the neck. So essentially their cause of death was very similar. Just Claire had an extra stab wound that they thought was part of her cause. She had multiple stab wounds and punctures to her back an incised type of, abrasion to her abdomen and a number of wounds and bruising to her arms and legs or left arms and left hand. Investigators began hearing about this horrible man in quotes. It's constantly in all of like articles and everything that I read, there's a statement of this horrible man Hmm. that Claire had come in contact with two weeks prior to the murder. She had been complaining about it to anyone that she really came into contact with. She I believe at first he was the main point of interest, clearly. Like this man comes in and causes her to stress out about it. So initially this is who they're totally focusing on. So this guy comes in into her haircut, not an appointment, says, hey, can I get a haircut? Someone she didn't know at all. She told everyone, I've never seen him. Like, I don't know who this person is. And she just describes him as a horrible man with horrible, creepy eyes, saying he was horrible, rude, disgusting, dirty, and an abusive man. I mean, that's a lot of – oh. Yeah, and she said horrible a million times. Maybe that's yeah, it sounds like a man and everything. <laughs> I'd say that's a good guess. <laughs> yeah. I believe he had said things about hating hairdressers and wanting to kill them. What? Like that's yeah, pretty horrible. I, yeah, exactly. And also so apparently, random. Yeah, exactly. Very random. She makes some excuse up about not being able to like she doesn't have to, she has an appointment coming in or we don't have a time to cut your hair. So she basically gets rid of him and closes up shop and goes home, expresses her concerns for her husband and some friends that she like goes out with. And then over the next couple of days, but no matter what they try, they have no idea who this man is. Like he's a focus, but they, they have no description because she never really told anybody what he, what they look, what he looked like. So they have no, no way of knowing how, who this man is. Um, there were a couple of other people who gave statements the day of the murders, but police did not go back to question them or talk to them further for three years. Three years. I mean, Um, this drags on. Apparently. Why? Well, so I know it's a huge oversight, especially when you find out what their statements were. But I think, as I said earlier, this police department was so overwhelmed and had never had to deal with anything. And it's a terrible excuse, but I really think they just were like, oh, and then forgot that these people, even though these, wait till you hear these statements, they're, they should have been the first people they talked to. Okay. But I just think that they were just so overwhelmed that it was, it literally was an oversight. I don't think anybody was like trying to cover anything up. I think that they just literally forgot. Okay. So these two witnesses that somehow get lost in the shuffle, one's a man named Robert Menzel, who was a well-known businessman in the area, and he was also the town mayor at one point. I don't know when, but he was the mayor. So he's pretty reliable, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He had witnessed a man running from behind the old London building that afternoon. He says between 3.30 and 4.30, because he doesn't know exactly what time he's walking the streets, but it's around that time, carrying a satchel. I was going to say whenever you said that the door slammed and then it was swinging, that it sounds like somebody ran out. And so I was actually going to say, did somebody see anybody running? Yes. Robert Benzel did. That was on. I was literally almost interrupted you to ask that. (laughs) Well, there you go. There's your answer. (laughs) Okay. 
He was even able to give a pretty good description of the man. He said he was between 5'6 and 5'8, 25 to 30 years old, fair complexion. Said he was Australian, but I don't know how you know that. But maybe Australians know all their Australians. I don't know. Okay. Medium build, round face, clean shaven, black slash dark collar length, straight hair, wearing a black or dark rimmed clear glasses. Okay. Pretty, pretty specific. Pretty specific. He stated in interviews that he had never seen this man and he has never seen him again. Huh. So, okay. And there's a sketch that has been drawn up about for this guy. Um, I believe he even stated that it could have been someone that was just in time, town for a short time. As I mentioned, it was a port town. So it's common for people being in town for one night and that's it, or even like just a couple hours during the day. And so that's what his, since he's never seen this person again, that's what his assumption is. People in this town so wanted it to be someone that left and has never returned. Of course. Yeah. The other witness was a woman who was walking her dog about a block away from the salon who came across a barefoot man who had blood on his clothes and also engaged her in conversation about her dog, like something about like nice dog you got there. Something, I don't know. She said it was not long after she ran into him that she remembers hearing the sirens of the police. So... Was this guy leaving? And anyway, and that was only a block away. Hmm. But again, neither one of these people were followed up with and for years later. But when they did follow, police were unsuccessful at identifying either of these men that they described. And the leads went nowhere, even after all of that time. Did the after woman this- walking the dog, did she say that the guy looked like the guy running? You know, I building? don't know. I looked and like scoured and it didn't ever say, well, actually, wait a minute. Maybe it was that when they showed her the sketch, she agreed it was a similar person. Okay. Don't quote me on that. I could, I could be remembering that wrong, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So after this, the case goes cold for a long, long time. Initially. So now there's also these like few people that they look into that I don't know where they got their names from completely, except that they were like either a local that they just knew of that was kind of a bad guy or like a, cr- a criminal, not that they even matched the description. I don't know. But anyway, mm-hmm. so initially they looked into a man named Gordon Smith, who was a 25 year old local man who had come on hard times and he was in the early stages of schizophrenia and was self-medicating with drugs. And he was apparently spotted in the area that day around 2.40, like on the street, with talking with somebody. Okay. And when police questioned him, he wasn't really able to give him a good answer of what he was doing, probably because he was like buying drugs to uh, self-medicate his schizophrenia. Right. And or he might not remember. Might not remember that too. And he says that he goes home to take a nap right after the time that he'd been seen. And his parents let police know that he doesn't really take any meds pro- like properly, which makes him prone to outrage. But he's never had any convictions or anything, any other arrests or anything like that. So okay. I don't know. Seems he was like a jump. Yes, it seemed like a jump. Like, okay, this guy was in the area and he's kind of sketchy, but he's, he's just having a hard time. So does it mean that he killed these women? I, I don't think so. But, you know, I get why they check into him. So in 1998, he gets re-interviewed 
because his cousin Russell makes an accusation that the both of them were involved in this murder. He said that Gordon confessed to him. But see, Russell was, it's actually believed that he said this because he's in trouble for other crimes that he committed. And he's thinking that if he gives information on this, that maybe he'll get a lesser sentence for those (sighs) crimes. Okay. So that's the assumption. Um, Gordon moves, ends up moving to Melbourne because he can't take it. He, he, everyone in this town sees him as a killer because Hmm. he's been interviewed now twice for it. And so he ends up leaving and moving to Melbourne, but not long after that ends up committing suicide. He hangs himself. Oh no. Oh no. Mm. And then two months later, Russell also hangs himself. So these two guys. Oh my. Kill themselves. They're never like, I don't think ever officially cleared 100%. I don't okay. think that people really think that, but they're never like fully, fully cleared. Hmm. Man, they needed conv- help. They did need help. So another person they looked into was a convicted serial killer and rapist named Peter Dupas, who they looked into, but he, at the time of the crime, he was in jail. So clearly he was cleared pretty quickly. Yes. There was another fugitive on the loose at that time who had killed his wife and three children earlier in the year. I think it was like January of 1991. So they thought that possible that he was involved in this crime because there was some similarities to the crimes. Although no one really knows what those similarities were because at the time there was no details of those murders released because they he was a fugitive and they were holding like everything uh. to themselves. But the police thought that it was worth looking into. That kind of goes nowhere too. There were theories that it was a retaliation because Claire's son is a police officer and he used to work in the drug squad. So their thoughts, well, maybe there was ties to that. Like he took someone down and they're going to get back at him. These are all just like things that people are throwing out. Also, Margaret's daughter, coincidentally, had been a witness to another murder at some point. I don't know all the details to that, but she was basically in the wrong place at the right time, I guess, or wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Um, And so there was thoughts about retaliation in relation to that because she was this witness, but they're all, all of these are just speculations and nobody knows anything. Yeah. In 2006, the homicide squad reviews the case and says there's new leads, but I can't find out what they say these new leads are that they find in the files anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of like, uh, that's it. Just it was reopened in 2006, but then it's it just goes cold 15 again. years later, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, 15 years later. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. Crazy. So then in 2012, a woman writes a book about this case called The Horrible Man. Okay. (laughs) Which I was unable to obtain. I think I told you this at the time um, for use in this because I don't know, like it was out of stock or whatever. And so I read like almost four chapters of the free sample that's on Amazon. Okay. And based on what I read, I would totally recommend the book and I want to buy it and will probably read the whole thing at some point. But she just wants to bring light to the case because she kind of got obsessed. She lived there. She was a high school teacher and mom by day and then like super sleuth by night. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she just wanted to bring light to the case and get information out there that had maybe not previously been reported. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually reveals the footprint, which they held back from the public in that book. And they and police actually still believe that that could be like what helps like find the killer in the end and that tissue with the DNA with the blood mm-hmm, on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So in 2014, so there's that book, so she's bringing light, but still again, not till 2014, another witness who was ignored back in the day gets a visit from police. So now that's 23 years later that <laughs> Gosh, this guy gets I'll tell back. you what. The day he tells police, and he called the day after um, the murders, the owner, he's the owner of a general store that's close to the salon. Robert Penny had come into the store. Now, I don't know that he recognized him right away because after the interaction, his wife was like, you know who that is, right? That's Robert Penny. His wife just got murdered yesterday. Okay. So he had come into the store and he inquired about a product that he could use to get blood out of something. But that's all. Like he just asked if they had anything that he could use, which was they Why thought very that, strange. Robert? Why would you even do that? That's right? obvious and weird. Yeah. So – they're like, all right, we got to call the police because that's super strange. So now, 23 years later, police are like, well, shoot, maybe we needed to take a deeper dive into Robert because they were just kind of like, I think they just like, he's got his granddaughter building a swing in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't go into town. And at first it was thought that he didn't even have a car to drive because they only had one car and Margaret took it to the mm-hmm. salon. But apparently their son had been out of the country and left the car at their house and with the keys and said, you can use the car. Okay. So then people start thinking, did he drive with his daughter, granddaughter in the car, kill them in the salon and leave? And they're like, that's kind of bold, like for him to do that. Plus nobody saw him in the area officially. So anyway, but still they're like, let's look into this because maybe he didn't do it on his own, but maybe he had, was involved in some way okay. or another. And then a few other interesting things come out. And one's that One of his nephews, Robert's nephews, back in 1992, called Claire's son because these two families knew each other. They, you know, they were familiar with each other. So Robert's nephew calls Claire's son, the cop, and tells him, you should look into my uncle a little bit more because I think he's got some skeletons in his closets from his business and his business partners and trips out to Singapore and all this stuff. Like, makes this Uh, random statement. Okay. Yeah, so now they're like, okay, well, now this is getting juicier now. He's a suspect. Robert's own son, who was out of the country, initially suspected his dad because he had suspected that his dad had started a relationship with someone else very quickly. And he was like super annoyed and mad about it. And Robert had moved After the death, you mean? Okay. Right. Very quickly after the death, all of a sudden he's got this girlfriend, he said. Okay. Like he witnessed something that made him think he was involved with someone, this other woman. And Robert had, in fact, actually Robert and the um, Claire's husband, Peter, they left because they couldn't handle living in the town that this happened. So they both moved out. So this wasn't unusual that he did, but um, he moved out of Portland and moved in with a friend named Kim, who apparently they had known since like 1985, family friend. She'd been to the funeral and said to him like, hey, if you ever get over, I think I think she was in Melbourne. I don't remember. If you ever get over there, like, you know, come, you can stay with me, whatever. Okay. Well, he ends up moving in with this woman, Kim, in August of 1991. That's just three months after. Oh, yeah. That's pretty quick. The murders. They open off. They also opened up a bank to get, bank account together. That's oh. Kind of strange, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And eventually, and they insist that they're not intimate. Like, he had just moved in. But they weren't, like, together. They're insisting. But they end up getting married in September of 1992. So, like, 16 months-ish after the murders. 
Robert's son says he remembers seeing them together, though, a month after the murder. And a neighbor of Kim's remembers seeing Robert at Kim's apartment the month before the murders in oh. April. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more possible that they were involved intimately before any of this happened, although they both deny it hmm. to their deaths, I'm thinking. So – there's also pe- people that are saying that may, they may not have had the best marriages. Marriage they were they had their ups and downs, but who wouldn't have their ups and downs in 36 years? Honestly, like come right. on, like yeah. Do you have Tony, which is the son, does say that he feels like their relationship was a little volatile. Like dad would get angry and they'd get into fights, but then there would be always making up. So it was never anything that caused them to split for any amount of time. So, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and just because also, he's a cheater doesn't make him a murderer. I mean, well, yes, you're right. But they're thinking the that would be the only motive mm. is what they can come up with is that he wanted to be with this person so he needed to get rid of his wife. So there's no life insurance issues happening in these cases. Okay. Hmm. No. Interesting. No. And so if he was getting rid of his wife, it's possible that there's speculation that when Claire left to get her knitting, if that's what she was getting, that maybe someone came in and then when Claire got back, she just got caught in mm. up in that. Wow. Okay. So there's that thought. Okay. But we don't know. We don't know when this person came in. There's like this window of like the, from 305 to 430 that nobody really knows what happened in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, he also, Robert did have an, an affair previous to this when he was in Singapore. So I think that that might be one of the skeletons that in the closet that the nephew was talking about, but apparently Margaret knew about that and they had worked through it and moved on. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. After the statement from the general store though, that Robert had come in asking for blood, they were like, um, asking for a product to get out blood. They asked Robert, all right, will you come in now? And you know, get re-interviewed because, you know, this we've got some stuff we need to talk to you about. So he voluntarily does and gets re-interviewed and gives his fingerprints and DNA because they're like, well, we didn't really take that back then because we didn't think there was a need to. Mm-hmm. When they test it, though, it's not a match. Neither okay. one is a match to him. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't involved in some way. It just means he wasn't the person in the building that okay. actually murdered them. So he could have hired someone. Because he also has an alibi because he was at home with his granddaughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also because people were saying, well, he could have taken the car and brought the granddaughter and wasn't home the whole time. But he was at home when Shirley went home and cur- called their mm-hmm. house because he answered the phone. So he, True. I think he was there the whole time. He insists clearly that he has nothing to do with it. And this man is now, by the way, 82 years old. Gosh. <laughs> so. So there's also reports from family members and friends that Robert had been talking about how the women had been killed by a specific type of comb from the salon called a tail comb. You know, those combs that are like Uh the long, thin. They're helps to use to part. To make a part. Mm -hmm. But when he had mentioned it, it was like the night that they were murdered. And so this was before any autopsy had been performed or a coroner's report had come out or anything. So... He says, when people ask him about that, that it's because he heard somebody mention it at the crime scene and that it could be a possibility. Again, totally plausible. Those you also are appear- plastic. They would break. You can't stab somebody repeatedly well, with, a, with a comb. They they are some, but there's some that are metal. Oh, 
Oh, there are. Okay, they have made a medal. Hmm. He also apparently goes over to the Acock home the next day and says something to Peter about Margaret. Thankfully, that Margaret died so quickly, and Peter like Peter's like, well, okay, like it didn't hit him at the time, but. Nobody ever said that Margaret died quickly, and actually that wasn't the thought. It was the thought that they were stabbed, they slumped over, and bled to death. So that's not dying quickly. No, that's terrible. So if she did, then how would he know that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So these are all just like the things that people are like spewing around. Okay. So in April of 2015, based solely on all of those things, which are all circumstantial things, right. they arrest Peter. Huh. Nope, not Peter. Robert. Sorry, Peter is Claire's husband. They arrest him for the murders of Claire and Margaret. But he's released on bail due to his poor health because the man's 82 years old. And he doesn't appear to be a flight risk. And there are so many delays in court dates for numerous reasons, including his health, because I think he had had bypass in the meantime. All that, like, I mean, he's in poor health. Mm-hmm. And in March of 2016, he dies before any hearing can occur for this case. Huh. But on November 23rd, 2016, a coroner's inquest is held over multiple days. I believe it was 10 days between November of 2016 and February of 2017. And in June 2017, the coroner rules that there is no real evidence to link Robert to these crimes. Although there was a lot of weird circumstances surrounding him, they cannot Mm -hmm. prove without a reasonable doubt that he had anything to do with the murders. So here we are, 31 years later, without any answers. Although I'm fairly certain that most of the family members and friends still think he was involved. Wow. But we still have no answers. And they they did – they haven't found any fingerprints that have ever matched in any system or DNA from that. Because there was DNA pulled off of that tissue mm-hmm. that was both Claire and Margaret's DNA was on there and a partial male profile. Hmm. So they believe one day – That wasn't Robert's. You know, it wasn't Roberts. So they believe one day that they'll be able to solve this through, you know, all this stuff getting entered into the systems nowadays and all that kind of stuff. But 31 years later, we still are sitting here with nothing. Wow. How, like, first of all, this is a gross, heinous, all of our crimes are heinous. So this is heinous. Like this, these two lovely women go get, we're in a hair salon for an afternoon and end up brutally murdered. A lot of the information I got, by the way, was from a 48-page coroner, that 2017 coroner's inquest that I read the whole thing of, Mm because I read so many articles, but they were all over the place so much that I Mm -hmm. was actually very confused by this case in the beginning, because there's not a lot from like the original, you know, 1991. I can't find a whole lot of actual Mm -hmm. articles from then. So now it's like all these like later year, like recaps. And so I was super confused. So when I came across that, I was extremely happy because it was like, boom, 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 boom. This mm-hmm. is what happened. But it's still very crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I will say that I think stands out the absolute most is they were definitely targeted. Like one of yeah, them was so. an intended victim for sure. Mm-hmm. And the other one just was like, gosh, it's so like awful to say, but collateral damage. Yeah. And I think that whoever did it, it was not a crime of opportunity. They brought their murder weapon. They did what they needed to do. And then they ran out. Yeah. So like they didn't wander in there. Hey, can I have a haircut? And then the ladies and then we're like, Oh, I'm 
I'm going to kill these two. It was right. intended. It was, there was a motive, a clear motive. We just don't know what it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they assume that there was two murder weapons because they're thinking that a knife was used and possibly they did say that those puncture wounds that I mentioned were kind of in alignment with that um, hair, the tail comb. Hmm instrument so but they don't know for sure because yes there was blood on one of those but it was also in the scene on the floor you know so anyway so they don't really know for sure but that's what their speculation is now I'm supposed to go get my hair done on Thursday (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna see if my stylist has one of the metal ones (laughs) be like get that away from me (laughs) I know you need to switch. I don't want that. It's the same plastic ones so that somebody doesn't come in here and murder you, honey. I know. I have the plastic ones here because I do Xavier's hair. And yeah. To like we have them things. too. I have yeah. them for my daughter's hair. Yeah. Oh my goodness. These poor women. I know. I know. And to not have any answers. <sighs> yeah, Still, that's poor like, community. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. No, I agree. Girl. Yeah. Mez was nine when this happened. That'd be so terribly scary. I can't imagine. I am shook a little bit. I'm going to think about it. (laughs) I'm sitting in my chair and my head is going to be on a swivel. (laughs) She goes to put that cape over your face. Push her away. I know. Grabbing a comb and taking it off. (laughs) Out of there. That's crazy. Wow. Interesting case. Interesting to be in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Weird. she re- recommended another one, so we might be going back yeah. to Australia. I think I have that. a recommendation from her as yeah. well. Hmm. Yeah. How weird. It's so spidey that we have two hairstylists. I know. Back and back. it didn't and I did totally wasn't like because clearly I already heard your your hairstyle where your hairdresser won last week. And I just went onto my list and was like, okay, this is the one I'm doing. I had no idea what it was about. And I clicked the website and I was like, Oh Lord. Hmm. Look at that. <laughs> Super spidey. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for the thanks for the case. Mm-hmm. Now we have someone else to to suspect and be scared of. <laughs> now we have yes. another reason to hide in our claws and our hair is gonna look terrible now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Mine, well, it already does. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You're beautiful. <laughs> we hope you guys, we hope you beautiful people liked this case. And if you did, come tell us about it on social media. If you want more of us, come and join our Patreon and become a closet sister. Lots of fun things happening there. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.